today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. He was interceding for the transgressors. How many of you here this morning are transgressors? Yeah, amen. The rest of you need to pray about that because you are. And he was interceding for you. He knew that his death wasn't just for that hour. His death wasn't just for that people. His death was for people of all ages, for all time, in order that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you and I, in the ignorance of our own sin, we don't really truly know what we're doing. We don't realize the impact that that makes in our relationship with a most holy God. When we continue to live a life of sin, indulging the selfish desires of our hearts and flesh, we are displaying our ignorance for the true weight of our actions. Our sins represent hearts that have chosen to rebel against the heart of God and the law and order that He put in place. As Pastor David reminds us in today's message, the collective weight of all mankind's sin was placed squarely on Jesus on the cross. We will never be truly sinless in this mortal existence. It's only because Christ bore our sin that we can be seen as righteous before God. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, The Seven Last Sayings. We've been in Luke for a long time, and we actually did the triumphant entry several weeks ago. As a matter of fact, we, we've already placed Christ on the cross. And so today is the day we're going to get him off, okay? I'm all for that. We're gonna, we are, are in Luke chapter 23, but we're actually going to be looking at several verses this morning, because this morning I would like to look at the seven last sayings or the seven last words of Jesus as he's on the cross. We looked at two of those last week when we looked at verses 26 through 43. But today we're going to go on beyond that to look at, at the rest. And it's going to take us all four of the Gospels to be able to see uh, all four or all seven of these sayings. Have you ever heard the words of a dying man? or a woman for that case. Someone who, who knows that they only have uh, perhaps uh, uh, hours left to live or days, but they know that very shortly the, the end of their time is going to come. When we look at that or when we hear that, we, we hear a wide range of emotions. Sometimes it, it's, 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 it's fear, not knowing what that next step, that next place of their uh, existence after death is going to be. Sometimes it's, it's anger. Why is this going on with me now at this time? I have so much to do and so much to take care of. But what a powerful message comes from that individual who has faith in Jesus Christ. 
who has been walking with a desire to know him in every aspect of their life and to be found obedient to him in every aspect of their life. When that individual comes to that point of knowing that death is just a few moments away, they're able to proclaim their faith they're able to testify of the goodness and of the mercy and of the grace of Almighty God to family and to friends, to the medical people all around them. The third death actually becomes a testimony of the greatness of God. Beloved, death is never pleasant. And even as we've shared over the last couple of weeks, the death on the cross was the most wicked and the vilest means of death ever devised by man. And as we spoke of the cross last week, we spoke about the horrors, about the, the suffering, the, the extension of the pain, and how Rome had just fine-tuned crucifixion to such an extent that, again, the world was fearful of the cross. Other than to, to look and, and to speak of, of, of in the midst of all of the suffering of Christ on the cross, his pain and his outright exhaustion while he was on the cross, one of the things we need to see today is also he was still able to look out beyond himself and to be able to demonstrate and actually declare his care for the world that was all around him. We need to look through, as I said, all four of the gospel accounts to be able to get a clarity of all of these words, those last phrases that Jesus declared from the cross. The, the statements he makes, though, can actually show us kind of the, the stage of that pain, the depth of the suffering and the exhaustion that he was experiencing as he hung on the cross. You need to realize that for six long, excruciating hours, Jesus hung on that cross. We read in the gospel records that it was about nine o'clock in the morning that they finally made it to the top of the hill of Golgotha. And there, once there, they proceeded to, again, nail those who were being executed quickly upon that cross and set them into place. And then we read in the scripture accounts that around noon until about three o'clock, so half the time that he was actually on the cross, the word says that there was a darkness over all the earth. Look at verse 44 of chapter 23 of Luke. Now it was about the sixth hour, that's noon in their time frame. It was about the sixth hour and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, that's the three o'clock time frame. And then it speaks there, then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. I want to stop right there and we're going to get into the words of Jesus in a moment. This was just the last three hours, again, where the human life, the human breath of Christ was being drained away from his body. When we look at the seven last sayings of Christ, uh, again, of these sayings, three of them are directly related to his concerns for others in this world other than himself. And I find that so difficult to even comprehend that with all of the pain, all of the suffering, the absolute exhaustion that was going on in his life, yet the very first things that he speaks while on the cross is caring concern for others. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Speaking to the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Seeing his mother there, standing and weeping, cry, calling out, woman, behold your son, as he directs her to John the apostle. And then speaking to John, he says, behold your mother. 
From those three, we move on to the next two that deal with his own personal situation, dealing with that pain and agony. I believe this is now near the end of his time. I believe that there was a great spance of, of quietness, at least uh, in, in, in what Jesus was saying, as he hung on the cross. The physical, the emotional strain, now getting the best of him. His human body was dying. Then we read in John 19, I thirst. And then that shortly after that, he declares the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in the very last few moments after his death, while the darkness still covering everything, Jesus spoke out those last two phrases, the last two phrases declaring the completion of his mission on earth and his final declaration of obedience and victory as he cries out, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit or commend my spirit. As Jesus hung on the cross, in those earliest stages in particular, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about you and the souls of mankind everywhere, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He was thinking about the oppressed as well as the oppressor. His heart and his love went out to all of those that were suffering in, the, in this life as well as for those that brought about that suffering. That's why with all the honesty and the love and the concern, he could cry out at that point. He cried out to the Father on behalf of his executioners. Again, blows my mind. I cannot even imagine that. His first words that we read there that he declares, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But really, who is he speaking about? Back in verses 34 through 37, says that as he hung on the cross, he made his plea to the Father in heaven. The soldiers that were carrying out his crucifixion, verse 34 says that while he was hanging on the cross, they divided his garments and they cast lots. The people stood looking on. But even the rulers with him, they sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king, the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Prophet Isaiah had it really clear. He had clear the understanding of what the heart of Christ was. Because even in the midst of his suffering, Isaiah 53, 12 tells us that he made intercession for the transgressors. But don't be confused. It wasn't just the Roman soldiers that were responsible. It wasn't even just the Jewish leadership that was responsible. The apostle Paul expands that list of sinners when Paul in Romans 3, 23 declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He was interceding for the transgressors. How many of you here this morning are transgressors? Yeah, amen. The rest of you need to pray about that because you are. <laughs> and he was interceding for you. He knew that his death wasn't just for that hour. His death wasn't just for that people. His death was for people of all ages, for all time, in order that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you and I, in the ignorance of our own sin, we don't really truly know what we're doing. We don't realize the impact that that makes in our relationship with a most holy God. It was Peter that says, it's done in ignorance. 
The problem is, is ignorance is no excuse. Through the death of Christ, forgiveness can be obtained. Through the plea of Christ, salvation was offered when he said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. That now brings us to the second saying of Christ. As he's hanging there, the two criminals, the thieves on, on either side of them, we spoke about this last week, that one of them began to mock him, and the other one came again in, in support of Christ. Man, you don't, you, you don't have a clue what you're saying. You know that we are both guilty. We're getting what we deserve, but not this man. In the midst of all of that foolishness, in, in the midst of that mocking, the one came and recognized that there was something special about this man that they called the king of the Jews. And he had heard the mockings. And yet the very presence of Jesus moved his life. And his heart was changed as he expressed to Christ, again, the, the understanding that I know that, that there is a kingdom that you have and you will be reigning and ruling in your kingdom. As he spoke there in Luke 23, verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now you cannot escape the irony of the truth of Jesus' love for those who humbly seek him. As the crowds continued their mocking, as they continued their insults, as they continued even spitting on him, Jesus never replied to their calls at all, except, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And yet when this one man cries out in agony, he seeks the Lord, he humbly confesses his need, then Jesus responded to him. He responded with forgiveness and assurance to that thief. We need to know, we need to understand that truth today, that when we turn with humility, when we turn with confession, when we turn with repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging the need in our life, he not only hears our cry, but he responds with that same heart, that heart of love, that heart of compassion, and that heart of forgiveness. Our God desires that all men would be reconciled to him. And that reconciliation is only available through the Lord Jesus Christ when we call out by faith to him. How many of us are like the thieves that are on the cross? Consider that today. And, and I don't doubt that even in this crowd this morning, maybe there is a representation of both of those thieves here today some that are still in rebellion, some that are still in sin. You've heard the claims of Jesus. You've heard the, the, the claims of forgiveness that's been offered through him. And yet you continue to stand apart and by your very actions, you're mocking the very one who gave his life for you. And yet perhaps seated right next to you this morning are those that through recognition, and the conviction of their own sin, they've turned in repentance. They, 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 they've sought God's favor. They sought God's forgiveness. I guess my question this morning to you is, how can two so close hear the same message, experience the same drawings of the Holy Spirit, and yet experience such drastically different outcomes? That's a question I ask myself as a pastor every week as I see people come in and out of this building. Some, I know, man, you're, you're gloriously saved. Others that you wonder, man, does, does this individual really and truly know Christ or is church just a habit? 
church just an action, some religious ceremony for them. And yet they hear the same message week after week after week, and yet by the hardness of their heart, they mock the compassion of God. They spit in the very face of God because they don't turn their lives over to the truth of God. Where are you at this morning? We're all thieves. We're all guilty as charged. But who has turned in faith to receive the very hope, the very compassion, and the very forgiveness that God offers? We move to the third saying of Christ here. He acknowledges his care for his own mother, Mary. You remember the prophecy that was given to Mary. Remember when Jesus was a baby. Remember back when we were in Luke 2? That was about 12 years ago, I think. Uh, actually, we've been in Luke for a long time, I know. But in Luke 2, after Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph brought Jesus there to Jerusalem into the temple to, again, as the word says, to do for him according to the custom of the law. And while they were there, they were met by an old man by the name of Simeon. And Simeon came up, and Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. And then he says, and yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Surely that sword had to be piercing Mary's heart that day as she stood there at the foot of the cross, seeing her son being crucified, seeing her son going through so much agony and pain. She had seen so much already. She had heard so much already. The word tells us all through Mary's life, whenever anything was spoken of about the Lord Jesus, says that she pondered these things in her heart. I believe that she was pondering those things in her heart even that day as she saw her son hanging on the cross. Even then, I don't believe that she could have even fathomed how that day would have ever come about. How that son would have had to have gone through so much torment. Jesus looked down at her, and in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his agony, he went, his heart went out to her. She was there at the place of execution, standing next to the apostle John, the only apostle that was close at hand. And it's from John's gospel account that we read in John 19. They stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, and that's John, that's John's way of signing his name, the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. The disciple whom he loved, that was John. And again, we look and see that Jesus wanted to be certain that his mother was carefully looked after, carefully cared for. And some say, well, that, that even shows that Jesus was her only son, that she didn't have any other children. But yet, beloved, I want to submit to you that his half-brothers and his half-sisters didn't acknowledge him as Messiah at this point in time. It wasn't until after the resurrection that suddenly their eyes were opened. And I believe that as Jesus looked at that, he understood that he, they could not be trusted to rightly care for his mother 
And so Jesus appointed John to care for her. Following that declaration, there was probably a time of silence, as I said. I believe that there was a long time in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that exhaustion, as he's hanging there on the cross. It's at this point that we now move into what I look at as the second section of these seven sayings of Christ. It was now about the time of the sixth hour or noon. Jesus had already been hanging on the cross for three hours. And remember, this is after all the beating, the scourging, the hitting, the plucking of the beard, everything. He was hanging there on the cross for three hours, his body going into shock, going into dehydration and darkness covering over all the earth until the ninth hour or three o'clock in the afternoon. And it says it was at that point in time here in Luke we read that the veil of the temple was torn in two. John gives us, I believe, what is the fourth saying of Jesus in John chapter 19 beginning verse 28. It says that after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture must be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it on his mouth. Some say that at this point in time, Jesus was working to fulfill the prophecy of the psalmist. I don't believe that that's the case. I don't think that Jesus was trying to fulfill anything. If you really think about and consider the fact of his humanity and all that he's going through right there, I believe that what was going on, there was a physical need and in crying out with a desire to take care of that natural and physical need, he actually fulfilled prophecy at that point in time. Psalm 69, 21 declares, for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. I don't believe that Jesus was trying to set up the fulfillment. I believe that the prophecy was fulfilled in the midst of his suffering. And it's amazing to consider how this one who had taught the people earlier on in his ministry, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled, is now thirsty himself. The very one who told that Samaritan woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that he provides will never thirst again, but the water that he shall provide will become in them a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And now as he hangs on the cross, he thirsts. The very one who cried out to the multitude saying, if anyone thirsts, let them come unto me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his mouth will flow rivers of living water. And he is now overcome with thirst. After receiving the, the sponge with sour wine, put it to his mouth, Matthew shares with us there now the fifth saying of Christ. In Matthew 27, 46, Matthew tells us that about the ninth hour at about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so much has been shared about this statement of Jesus. How could it even be possible that God would forsake God? That's another thing dealing with the crucifixion that my mind just cannot, I, I, I can't comprehend that. But yet the cross was a time of severe mercy severe unto Christ, merciful to you and I. The payment must be paid. The debt must be cleared. The sin of the world must be dealt with. And it was impossible for the holiness of God 
to be a partaker of sin. And somehow, in the mystery of divinity and of the Trinity, the Father had to separate himself from the Son as he laid on him the iniquity of us all. Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.